Good morning. How are we doing today? It's good to see everybody. We're, gl- we're really glad you're here, especially if this is your first week with us. We're, we're thankful that you're hanging out with us. Uh, we have what I'm, a, a series that I'm really excited about. Um, that, that video, the last at the end, they show you the cookies they made. I just want to let you know those are terrible. I, I, all I have to do is look at them, I can tell you. And the reason I know that, it, everybody needs to be known for something. Let me tell you what I'm known for. I, I make the world's best chocolate chip cookie. Now, you hear my family, okay? Some of you are like, nah, man, I don't think so. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a real thing. I, I, I do make the world's best chocolate chip cookie, and they are fabulous. And, uh, uh, like, I, I tweeted out something about this series, and one member of the church said, I do expect one this morning. And I wish I could say to you that I had the time this week to make 200 cookies for you. But you're just going to have to trust me and come over sometime and uh, have them. Uh, the, the reason I, like, I feel very good about my cookie, and I, I will put it up against anybody's cookie. Like, I can look at that one. When it came off the sheet, it was already thick, which meant it's going to end up being a crunchy cookie. Come on, man. The cookie's not supposed to be crunchy. And some of you are like, chocolate, it doesn't matter, man. Chips Ahoy, chewy, or chips, like, that's fine. And if that's you, okay, but no. I, like, and some of you are just like, hey, I make a good cookie. I buy it in store-bought dough. You know, you got a tub or you got a tube and make, well, if that's the way you roll, God bless you. There is freedom for you to enjoy a less good cookie in this church. But my family, that will not work. Chips Ahoy and, and store-bought dough, not going to work. If we're going to make cookies, in fact, my, my girls are already looking at me going, I'm making cookies today. Like, like just bring it up. We're, we're going to roll today. We're, we're going to make cookies. Uh, they, but see, to understand this, you've got to understand there was a process I went through. I didn't start with the recipe, believe it or not. I started with a definition of a cookie. I knew what the per- perfect chocolate chip cookie should be like, okay? First of all, perfect chocolate chip cookie should be, still be gooey, like almost a little bit doughy on the inside, but crisp on the outside with a firm bottom, like Undercooked is not what I'm talking about, okay? An undercooked cookie is not a perfect cookie because now it's not good and crispy and firm on the bottom. You know, if you pick it up and it's like a wet paper towel, that's not a cookie. Just eat the dough. Now, believe me, the reason I don't make cookies a lot is I do eat a lot of the dough. It's part of the reason I didn't want to make 200 cookies. I'd have been into like 40 of them out of the dough just for myself, okay? But, but you know, it's, it's got to have, it, it, it shouldn't be thick. Thick means when you, when it, Cools down, you bite into it, it's going to crunch and pop and crumbs everywhere. Your crumbs, like if you bite into a chocolate chip cookie and crumbs go rolling, it's just not right. It, it should be, 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 you know, where it bends and when you bite into it, it's gooey. It should have a perfect blend of the, the little bit of bitterness that a good chocolate chip will give you, a sweet bitterness, but the cookie enhances that by being a perfect, not overly sweet, but perfect sweetness, and it should melt in your mouth, but not on your lips. Can I get an amen? Okay? These are things, like this is part of it, like, like the flavor and all this. And so this is a true story. I'm telling you the truth. You can ask my children. Go up and ask them and say, is what your dad's saying this true? They will affirm this. Uh, there are people in the church who've had this, and they're kind of like, no. And then there's some people around you who've had my chocolate chip cookies. They're like, yeah, these are... These are all right. I, I, I get it. Okay. Uh, but here's what happened is I, I started with an understanding of what the perfect chocolate chip cookie was. By the way, nuts, no, we are not monsters, okay? You do not put nuts in a chocolate chip cookie or you are nuts. That's just a, 
just so you know, okay? And, and so I, I had a clear understanding, and I got a couple of recipes. I started playing around. I was like, nope, there's something wrong here. Nope, that's like, I, I started playing around. And what I did is I actually developed my own recipe. Started with a couple others. I'm not saying I didn't, like, out of thin air, you know. I, there's nothing new under the sun. But I developed my own recipe, and in time, I, I really worked at it. And, like, it's, I know exactly what ingredients that mix in what way at what temperature for what amount of time, what to do when you pull them out of the oven, how long they should sit on the cookie sheet before you pop them up and put them on top of, uh, you know, a, a, a piece of wax paper or a, dry, you know, a drying mechanism here so they, they don't just, you know, it, like, I've got the system down and they are good. And then everybody's now like, dude, it's just not right for you not to have these first this morning. I'm hungry now. <clears throat> um, I'm also a disciple maker. I have taught my family, my children, how to make our cookies with this understanding that if they share the recipe, they're out of the will. <laughs> this is a family thing. So if they get married, they can share it with their spouse. They can pass it on to their children. It's part of the inheritance, okay? But they, this is not going to get posted online. This is not, I'm, I'm not sharing my, like, don't come and ask me. I'm going to love you and say, nope. This is my thing, and you say, well, that's not Christian. I'm sorry, we're just gonna roll on with that and move on, okay? Uh, but but it's, it's a really good cookie. Now, you're like, why are you telling us this? Because in Matthew 28, Jesus told his disciples, he gave them a commission, he said, go and make disciples. In fact, Matthew 28, we, we looked at this text last week, and, and Matthew 28, he says, Jesus said this, and Jesus came and said to, to them, to, to the 11 like, if you know the story, there's 12 disciples he chooses, but one betrayed him and then took his own life, and now there's 11 guys left. They were the dudes who hung out with them for three-plus years, and now he gathers them after his resurrection. This is the risen Jesus who is speaking to them. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and go, therefore, and here's the phrase, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Listen, I have what I have up here for you, and I'm not telling you anything, I have all the ingredients for my cookies right here. They're all here. There's a couple secret ingredients. I, I'll share one of them with you. That's actually water. Whoever thought of putting water in a chocolate chip cookie? But a little bit of water does something beautiful. Make your own recipe and try to add just a little bit of water and see what happens. It'll get better. Doesn't seem right, but that's what will happen. Got to lower that. Thank you. By the way, my wife, as she does that, bring her attention to the box here and notice that I, I matched the, the basket today. <laughs> Didn't plan that, but it's a true story. But anyway, uh, there's my ADHD popping out. Uh, <laughs> And, and, oh, that's a reminder. We're, we have this beautiful thing, our member renewal today. If you forgot to get your sheet coming in, is the sermon, and they're back here on the table. And we'll have a beautiful time of, of reminding ourselves the importance of the church in this process today. But back to my water. If you add a little water to a cookie, it might be good. Um, I'm not going to tell you what this is, but there is the real secret ingredient. In the same way, Jesus said, go and make disciples. 
And here we are 2,000 years later, and often, like my experience in church is that often when we say, go and make disciples, we will get a lot of amens that that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, I grew up in a tradition where the Great Commission, like the passage I just read to you, is probably the most read passage in my life from church services, conferences, events. We know that Christ gave his people this challenge, this commission, that if we are followers of Jesus, our commission is to go make disciples. We're to baptize them, we're to teach them, we're to go. We're to, like there's this, last week we, we, we entered this whole circle that's in this text of going and baptizing and teaching. And as we do that correctly, the people that we train as disciples, they will go as a result. Like there's a beauty to this. And he said, teaching them all that I commanded you. That becomes important to understanding what Jesus was saying. But here's my experience. We knew we were supposed to go make disciples. But a lot of times if I just walked up and said, okay, what is a disciple? If, if we saw this happening, if we understood what a disciple is, like, tell me, what does it look like if a person is a disciple? What will it look like for you? Because our goal in this whole series is this, to do two things. The first of all is to say, this is what we as a church are passionate about. This is our core vision. This, these are our marching orders for Jesus. We want to take this seriously. We want every layer of ministry to be influenced by this one commission. Go and make disciples. And if there's anywhere in our church that what, where what we're doing is not helping us make disciples, we either need to ditch it or adjust it. Okay? So for a church, we're trying to say, this is who we are. This is what we're about. This is, here's how we, like, here are the things we're going to do. But for you as an individual, the commission is be a disciple. That there's no better place to be. No better place to be than following Jesus, trusting him, holding on to him, growing in your faith. Like, this is the path to purpose. It's the path to meaning. It's the path to joy. We are not tying ourselves to a system. We are following a person. But what does it look like? Because Jesus physically isn't here. What does it look like for you to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like for you to be a disciple? In other words, what we're saying is we want to invest this into you. And so raise the question in churches, Okay, we're supposed to go make disciples. What does a disciple look like? And that's where you start getting, uh, well, let me think about that. It wasn't right on people's lips. They, they were trying to create a system where they were implementing a recipe, but they didn't know what the goal was. And so the solution is pre-made cookies, store-bought dough. So literally, my whole, my whole experience being in church is where we said, if I, raise a question, if I raise a question, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to make disciples. How do we do that? What does that mean? And what is that going to look like? Well, we teach the curriculum from our denomination. Store-bought dough. We read this really cool book by this church that's growing like crazy, and we should do the stuff they're doing. That's how it works. Already made cookie. And, and one church that got really, really good at growing really, really fast in the early 2000s, it's a church that exploded, became a church of tens of thousands of people. And they paused and they asked this question, are we actually making disciples? They did a massive survey. They had a whole network of churches. Churches all over the world were following what this church was doing. Everybody, churches everywhere were trying to implement their programs. And they paused as they said, are we actually turning people into authentic followers of Jesus? And their data showed that they were failing miserably. They had attracted massive crowds, but they were not seeing people's lives who were authentically changed. 
And tons of people bought Chips Ahoy and plugged it into their church. And so they went and they studied all the churches who were in their association, and they found that the metrics everywhere were the same. I don't want to do that. I want you to experience the beauty of Jesus. I, I want us to know together what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and I want us to have a really good recipe. I want us to be careful about the right ingredients invested in the right way, cooked at the right temperature, so that what happens is there are things that are baked into you as a follower of Jesus and baked into us as a community so that what's happening is you grow, it creates some beautiful things in you that will cause more people to be drawn, and we just keep making new sheets of cookies, new sheets of cookies all the time, but what comes out of the oven is the, the, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a person who's authentically connected to Christ. And so what we want to do is, is, is uh, look at this beautiful text where four of the men who were with Jesus three and a half years later when he gives the Great Commission are first called out by him. In other words, I want to show you when the first disciples were called, who they were and where it went. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4. Um, so grab your app, grab a Bible, grab, uh, if you don't have a Bible, at the end of uh, some of our rows there are baskets, and in some of those baskets we have Bibles. We would love for you to have one of those. Uh, if you have that Bible, we'll be on page 897. If you're uh, hanging out with us and you don't have your own Bible or your Bible's falling apart, or if your Bible's like this old translation of English that's hard to follow, we would love this to be our gift to you. Because uh, one of the things we'll get to a lot is that disciples need to know what Jesus said and how we know what Jesus said. Like, we can't follow somebody if we don't know what he's talking about. How we find that is in this book. But, but we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. And what you're going to hear is the story of the first people that Jesus called to follow. These are four of the men that become four of the 12. So check it out. Chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, so here's the central message of Jesus' ministry, repent, back to that in a minute. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, this is a beautiful story. What's going on is that, that we have this announcement of what Jesus preaching is. He is he, like, he shows up. This is the very first words that we have from Jesus' mouth in his ministry as he steps into the forefront uh, in a public way. Like when Jesus stood in front of people and proclaimed uh, the message, the central message, what was that message? And Matthew's making it really simple. His message was this, repent because the kingdom has shown up. In other words, the whole Bible is about a kingdom. God is the king, we have usurped his authority, there was a giant coup in, in, in the Garden of Eden, and since then everything is jacked up and broken. And what we need in the world is the kingdom, the God of this universe who made everything, who owns everything, to return as king. And what Jesus is saying, he's literally looking at the world saying, the king has shown up, here he is. The kingdom has arrived because the king is here. 
So you need to turn from something. This is true of every individual in history, that there is something that you have made supreme, royal. There is something that you worship. There is something that you serve. You need to turn from that, and you need to follow Christ. Repentance is turning from whatever you are pursuing with your life and the sin that it creates and turning to someone, turning to Jesus. And so what happens is your translators do something that's helpful but sometimes gets in the way. They put a heading in. Like Jesus, in my Bible, Jesus calls his first disciples. Now, if you understand, that's not in the original. That's the people who translate the Bible trying to break stuff in the story so you can find stuff easier and kind of know where it's going but we can't read these separated. In other words, the message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus turns in the story to four men who are fishing and he calls them. And what we're supposed to see, what we're supposed to see in this text is that what Peter, Andrew, James, and John do is the proper response to the message Repent because the kingdom is here. That, that, that's what we're supposed to see. That here's the message he's preaching to everybody. He turns and applies that message to four specific individuals in a setting. That call is made universally to everybody, but is applied by the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, this universal call to repent because the kingdom of heaven is here is there. But the Holy Spirit took that message and applied it to your heart. Your heart became alive and you believed in Christ and you lifted your chin and you followed. This is what it's supposed to look like. And so Jesus turns these guys, they're fishing, they've been out all night fishing. Uh, we're, we're told in another version of this text that there's this whole beautiful story that is part of this. They've been out all night fishing, they caught nothing. They come in and Jesus looks at them and says, hey, why don't you throw your net over there? And they kind of go, listen, I, I, I've seen you around. Dude, you are not a fisherman. This is not how we do it. But just to appease you, we'll throw the net. And they throw the net out, and every fish in the Sea of Galilee went, hey, that looks like an amusement park. Here we go. And their nets were so full after that, after not catching anything all night, their nets were so full that they began to break. In that context, Jesus looks at them and says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And their response is really interesting. Peter and Andrew hear that call. And after the best catch they've ever had they leave the business to follow Jesus they, they walk away from their deaths it, it, it's even more interesting because the text is very clear to point out James and John the sons of Zebedee that more than likely what the text is trying to tell us is that Zebedee was the owner of the whole business. Peter and Andrew were employees with their buddies James and John. Zebedee, it was like the Zebedee and Sons fishing operation. And for James and John, these two brothers, when Jesus calls them, they don't just leave a job. They leave the boats that are their inheritance and the father that owns the business to follow Jesus. This is not just, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm, it's not going to change me, but I'm cool with Jesus. Like, I believe this, this is repent and believe the gospel. This is what it looks like to begin discipleship. 
Now, does that mean that everybody who becomes a disciple is going to leave their job? Not necessarily. But listen to me. Everybody who believes the gospel turns from something to follow Jesus. And if you didn't turn from something that was your self-salvation experiment, that was your sin, that was your brokenness, that was your path, that your dreams, like, like in America, we, we have baptized the Disney promise. Be all you can be, follow your heart, pursue your dreams. And what we do is we throw a few Bible verses to baptize that, and the gospel says you gotta turn from that. It's not your dreams. You are giving yourself to a master, and you are following And what happens here is beautiful. Here's these four guys who follow Jesus. Jesus has a few more guys, a few more guys, a few more guys. The next thing you know, he has 12. He's called them all just like this. They have left. Matthew leaves the tax booth. Other guys left other things. We have one guy who's Simon the Zealot. He is like this crazy, like crazy, hardcore political guy. He leaves that to join Jesus' bands. I mean, they all left something to follow Jesus. And what happens is the next three and a half years, Jesus hangs out with them. He pours his life into them. They are a, you ready? A community, a small group. They are doing life and faith together. Jesus first does it for them. He's doing miracles. He's teaching to people. He will teach to people. Then he will turn to them and have a Bible study with them. He'll go back to teaching people. He is showing compassion. He's doing justice. He's stepping in the lives of broken people. He's doing all the stuff. He is the personification of everything the Old Testament said that it looks like to, to be a true covenant follower of Yahweh, of God. He, Jesus is the embodiment of what it looks like when the kingdom of God bursts into the world. And he is doing it with these dudes. And they follow. They are with him. They follow. They are with him. They are disciples. It's what disciple means. It just means a follower, somebody who's connected to a very specific teacher. They have left the idea of learning and said, I'm not just learning in the world. You are my teacher. Where you go, I will go, and I will be. Like, like I am and letting you lead who I am. I'm letting you define what I'm about. I'm let, like, they give themselves to, to Jesus, and they follow him. They do this for three and a half years. Jesus goes from doing ministry for them to doing ministry with them. He starts to include them in the gigs he has, the places he goes. He eventually puts them out front and eventually sends them out. He sends them out. These 12, he goes, all right, you go start proclaiming. Here's our message. Repent. The kingdom's here. We know the, we know the king. Get, get your town ready because he's going to come here in a few days. And he sends them out to do ministry. And then they come back and report. And he is pouring in their lives all this sort of stuff. But it goes really sideways. They take this trip to Jerusalem thinking, okay, we're going to continue this. Jesus gets in Jerusalem and it goes really sideways when Jesus goes like real prophetic with the religious leaders who are already really upset at him. And the next thing you know, he's swept up in a moment where he gets arrested, tried by Jews, tried by Romans, and he's hanging on a cross. And these 12 men, the 11th one, goes and takes his own life because he was at the center of this. The other 11 men are standing here going, We've lost everything. They're distraught and broken. And then three days later, following Jesus goes through the cross to the resurrection and and ultimately to the throne. That's the only way. Following Jesus means the path is the gospel through the cross of Christ and the resurrection. And he's eventually going to say, if anyone wants to come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross and follow it's not going to be easy. It is going to be glorious. And so when Jesus looks at them and says, go and make disciples. Like when we hear it in church 2,000 years later, we're like, hmm, 
I wonder what that means. These guys didn't bat an eye. They knew exactly what Jesus was communicating. They knew what it looked like to intentionally invest in people, to proclaim a very clear message about the kingdom of God coming in the person of Jesus, to call people to repentance, that when people repented and turned, they needed to be drawn into this community of faith. In that community of faith, they needed to have deep relationships and people investing deeply into them. They knew what it looked like to to be intentional about the things that they invested in their lives, just like Jesus was really intentional about the things he invested in their lives. But he also, they needed to do this in community as they walked with people and hung out with the, with the church, and, and that what would happen is that, that they would invest in people, and over a process, these people would grow, and then eventually they would go from being a disciple to a disciple maker. They could join the system and, and actually become the person who is not just being invested in. They could invest, and the story of Acts tells how all this happens over. It is over and over and over, repeat, 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 through church planting. New churches become these, these outposts of the kingdom where they are making disciples of the nations. They are proclaiming the kingdom to the city and helping people in the context of a local church grow as disciples. They're baking cookies. They're investing the right stuff because they got it directly from Jesus. The disciple-making mission, like I told you my recipe, I'm not sharing it, but Jesus shared his recipe. He shared his recipe. He told us how to do this. We have to look at him and, and your commission is to follow to do that, to, to give, leave whatever is holding you back and follow Christ. And so as a church, we have to be intentional about this. The word disciple, we shared this with you last week. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, the word disciple is a Greek word that is called, that is the Greek word matheteo. It's not to impress you, that's just the Greek word. That word literally means a follower or learner of another's doctrine. The idea means not only to learn, but to become attached to one teacher and to become his follower in doctrine and conduct of life. That, that's literally what the word means. It's from the Word Study Dictionary by Spiro Zodiades. Um, he is a Greek scholar, and he's saying, here's what the word means. It's not just somebody who learns. Like, you go to school, and you have a teacher. That teacher is not, you're not a disciple of that teacher. Like, if you're in the fourth grade, you're going to go to the fifth grade next year. You don't switch, to, like... It is tying yourself in an ancient world to one teacher, one philosopher, one leader, and saying, you are going to be the one who pours everything into my life. And a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, saying, you are the one who will mold me into your image. You're going to teach me the things I need to know. I'm following you. That's what it meant to be a disciple. And he says, go and make disciples. Now, in our culture, we have a couple really good illustrations of this. I'm hoping that one of these will connect with you. Some of you, maybe not, but here's the first one, okay? Uh, First image, Miyagi-Do Karate. Now, some of you are like, what? All right, so if if you're old enough to remember the original Karate Kid, you know, you know that? Okay. So so what happened is you have this teacher who took Danielson under his wing, and he became his mentor. He, He, Daniel became literally a disciple and it wasn't just teaching karate. The whole idea of the first karate kid was there was a philosophy behind the karate that went against Cobra Kai, which was the other. Well, if you're not familiar with this, that whole story came forward and they made a whole series on Netflix uh, called Cobra Kai. And the whole like six or seven seasons, however many seasons they have now, is actually the story of two original disciplers 
discipling people in two different whole philosophies about what karate is. And some of them switch back and forth, but some of them attach, and now Daniel is the discipler of Mr. Miyagi's form of karate. Meanwhile, Cobra Kai is teaching that karate is to kill, to strike first. And, and there's this beautiful story, but believe it or not, if you're familiar with the story, the whole story is about what it looks like to be a disciple. It is tying myself to a teacher, and not just teaching me how to kick and punch, it is a whole philosophy of what karate means. Or another example that, that a few others might, mm-hmm, it's in the rocks and treasuses, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's going on here? Well, for those of you who have really been stuck on a rock for the last 50 years, this is from Star Wars, okay? And you have a, a Padawan learner with a Jedi. And the way they train Jedi in, in the Star Wars universe is not to ju- just to put you in a classroom and give you a whole bunch of stuff. Eventually, you went from being a learner to having a specific Jedi who was your teacher. And for Luke, it's Yoda. It's not just that you're getting information. You're tied to a person who's teaching you a way of life, a way of living, a way of like in their case, using the force and all that means. But the bottom line is, that's, this is what it looks like. Luke leaves everything, he keeps going. And Yoda becomes his mentor. He becomes, like everything about Luke's life is tied up in what it means to be a Jedi who's been trained by Yoda here. That's what it means to be a disciple. Except it's not Mike. You're not tying yourself to me. What I'm trying to do is help you figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus because he's alive. You're not following a dead teacher through the lips of somebody who's telling you how to follow his way and pointing you to Christ as a living person who is present in our lives, who has spoken his word and will show us what to do. And so we need to know what a disciple is. Well, I'm going to tell you our definition. There's all kinds of definitions of what it means to be a disciple out there. You can find books that will tell you, but, but we are going to, at Genesis, have a working definition of a disciple. Here's our perfect chocolate chip cookie. Are you ready? A disciple is a follower of Jesus who is ever growing in their application of the great commandment and the great commission. I hope this will sink deep into you. I've just told you what we want for every person in this room. We want you to be a follower of Jesus who is ever growing. I I am getting older. I've been a follower of Jesus for 51 years. I am nowhere near complete. I am not the perfect cookie. I'm not there yet. One day, I will be. But it will be after I take my last breath in the new heaven and earth. But, but Christ is baking into me the stuff of that now. It's not, it doesn't start when I rise again. It starts when I trusted Jesus. It starts when I repented and followed. That's when, when the ingredients start getting baked into you so that you become more like Christ. A follower of Jesus who's ever growing in the application of the great commandment. The great commandment is Jesus, like in the great commission, he said, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Well, then Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says this, Matthew uh, 22. Uh, I really believe Matthew 22 and 28 are like completely linked in the book of Matthew. 
If I pull one of them out, I don't understand the other. They are connected because of Jesus' words, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We have to ask, did Jesus ever stand up and say, what is everything I commanded you? And he gives a whole bunch of commands, but then he says, let me put an umbrella over it. Everything I've commanded you is under this umbrella. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. In other words, he's saying every commandment in the Bible is under the umbrella of love God with all that you are, love your neighbor as yourself. And so our definition is a, a, a disciple of Jesus, person who is, uh, is a, a disciple, is a, a follower of Jesus who is ever growing in their love of God their love of neighbor, okay? And they're growing in their participation in the Great Commission. In other words, true discipleship will end up with people who lift their chin and join the mission of God. And God's mission is disciples to all the nations. So, so, so here's what it says. Here's what we hope. In other words, the perfect cookie is the, the perfect disciple. The, the growing disciple is a person who's growing, ever growing in these areas. Love for God. That, that if it, this is really happening for you, you are, your affections for Christ grow more and more and more. Love for neighbor. But then Jesus really helps define this with a really cool story about, called the Good Samaritan, where the conclusion of that story, if you're not familiar with it, is that your neighbor is often the people that those in your culture hate and despise who are out, outcast and rejected. Your neighbor is, uh, it's not the guy next door who takes care of your dogs. Like we have a great neighbor, Jim's his name. And he is just out of the kindness. Every, every time we've gone on vacation, he just takes care of our dogs. Tried to pay him, he won't take it. I mean, he's just a great neighbor. And we're to love Jim. He's our neighbor, love him as we love ourselves. But Jesus doesn't let our definition of neighbor stop there. Loving our neighbor as ourselves is loving anybody in our culture whose needs I can meet with the love of Christ. And so I'm growing in my love for neighbor, but I have to lift my chin and begin seeing neighbors. It is a person who is ever growing in obedience to Jesus, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So we become more like Christ as we obey the things he told us to do, the, the things that, and, and so all of us have things in our lives that we're going, Listen, I love you, Jesus, but right now, I'm, I'm reserving this for myself. I don't want to live that way. I, like, we all have areas where we need to grow in repentance and our, our willingness to say, you know what's best for me, Jesus. And I need to let Christ transform who I am so I'm living more obediently to Christ. And a person who is ever growing and joining the mission of God that I'm not just living for myself. There's something way bigger than me and my dreams to live for. I'm joining something beautiful. That's what it looked like. That, that, that we are, a true disciple is a person who's growing in these four ways. Now, that, the question is, how do we get there? What are the ingredients? That, this is what the perfect cookie looks like. This is what a follower of Jesus should look like. This is our definition. A, a, a follower of Jesus is a person who is a disciple is a follower of Jesus who's ever growing in their commitment to the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. How do we get you there? How are we intentional as a church about developing those sorts of people? The rest of the series is going to try to answer that question. 
But this morning for a few minutes, I want you to see how Jesus did it. Calls these 12 men. He tells them to follow. What does he do with those 12 men? And he starts doing ministry among certain spheres of people and, and he involves them all the way as he invests in them. This is how Jesus did ministry with them. He gathers them around. He keeps teaching them individually or as a group as he loves broader spheres. And there are five very clear spheres that Jesus is, is making disciples among as he is discipling his disciples. That word was, that sentence was really confusing, but this is what he's doing. He is making disciples in all these spheres as he is discipling his disciples. So he has a small group that he's investing in while he is also doing a lot more that is living out this mission. And when they heard, go and make disciples, they understood it was all these spheres. Let me give them to you. There's at least five. People can break them in other ways, but hear this. The first, this first, the first sphere that Jesus is intentional in investing his life in is the culture as a whole. He, he looks at very specifically the region around Galilee. He looks at Jerusalem. He looks at this mass, massive culture of people in his area where he actually lived. There's one, one point where it tells us that Jesus was like looking down at Jerusalem on a mountain and he began to weep because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He cared about all the people. He, he's teaching in this one town. He gets this huge following and, and, and the disciples are like, man, it's working here. We should set up a tent and have like a multi-week revival. And Jesus' response is, nope, we gotta go because I must go to all these towns to proclaim the kingdom. He sees this whole culture. He is loving masses of people who just come up. He's doing ministry. He's caring for their broken lives. He's healing. He goes to town and we're just told he heals all the people in the town. Like the whole culture is in his view with the 12 beside him. It, like, like for us, what does that look like? It means that we are here in Eureka Pacific, this, this area and making disciples can't ever end up in us just being a nice, neat little huddle of people who sing great songs and high-five each other and have close relationships. There are points where we must care about this whole region and see the lostness and the brokenness to realize that the greatest problem for your neighbors is their lostness. They don't know Christ. That's why they live like they do. They're not our enemies. I love that Kirk said that our enemies in the gospel are spiritual. Our culture is our mission field. And we should weep and be broken and see the culture. And part of what it means to disciples, our church, to, to really care about the people who are not in church right now. But it's not just a culture. Jesus had crowds, big crowds. Like for Jesus, they were huge. He would gather people together and they would come to hear Jesus and he would teach them, he would preach them, he would do his ministry. But there are moments where these crowds are here to hear his message. And he teaches these massive crowds. And when he's teaching these massive crowds, here's the disciples. And he goes from doing it in front of them to involving them. One of my favorite stories is he's got this massive crowd. Oh, uh, the text actually says 5,000 men. So the crowd's way bigger than that. And he's up there teaching. Like, you think I go along. Jesus goes from morning to evening. And one of his guys comes up, taps on his shoulder and goes, hey, hey man. Uh, we can't get your Chick-fil-A here to, to do carry out and feed these people. They're getting hungry. Um, might be a good idea to hit your conclusion and end the sermon. And Jesus turns and looks at his disciples and goes, 
<laughs> Y'all feed them. And now they're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> All right, dominoes, yeah, that's not going to work. But what they do is they, 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 start, they start trying to find a solution. And they find a kid with a Lunchable. He's got a Hebrew Happy Meal. He's got, he's got five little crackers and two little sardines. And they offer it to Jesus. Now, I, I think the intention is to go, this is all we can come up with. But it's amazing when we offer all we can come up to Jesus, what he can do with it. Amen? I, I wish I could have been there. You, you realize that the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle in the Bible that is mentioned by all four Gospels? Because each one of them are like, well, there's one other miracle that's all four, the resurrection. That's it. The resurrection feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle that all four Gospels mention. And I think they, they do it because all of them are like, man, that was, that was insane. That was a crazy day. Jesus starts splitting sardines, and every time he breaks a sardine, throws it in, he's got another one in his hand. He starts breaking bread, and every time he breaks a piece of a little cracker and puts it, he, there's another one in his hand, and he just keeps multiplying, 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 handing, handing. They start feeding. They feed the whole crowd, and when the whole crowd's done, they end up, it tells us they had 12 baskets left over. Let me translate that to you. The meal was over. There's 12 disciples who each have their own doggy bag. He has provided from this meal, not just for the crowd, he has provided for them. He has looked at them and said, see what happens when you take the little bit you have handed to me? Trust me with it. I'm not just going to take care of them. I'm going to pour into you. You're going to have enough to take home to your family. That's, that's insane. But here's Jesus with the crowds doing, like, he's got, like, so, so our gathering here, our opportunities to teach and preach to larger crowds are part of the, the ministry and mission of disciple making. Our, our, like, it matters that you are here on Sunday. It matters that you are part of hearing the preaching and teaching of the Bible, of the gospel, from the scriptures. This moment is not unimportant. It is vital to our disciple-making process. It is this vital for you. Yes, we want to provide a live stream, and sometimes you must miss. But hear this. You replace the gathering with a live stream, you will never be a disciple. You will be an observer, not a disciple. You need this time. We need to prioritize it. We need to fight against schedules and kids' sports and other stuff that goes on in our world that causes us to not be a part. And we need to be present and we need to invite people to be present, not because of anything that happens out here other than the fact that we're opening the Bible, pointing people to Jesus and saying, follow Christ. The crowd is important. The third, the third layer he, he, he invests in is the committed. There are different groups of disciples. Realize that when we talk about the disciples, there's the 12. But do you realize that the Bible uses, in the story of Jesus, disciples of a lot of other people? Do you know that some of his closest disciples, actually some of the disciples who actually got it when the 12 didn't, was a band of women who are super important to the New Testament story. Now, one author I read who has a great book uh, on, on the, the female followers of Jesus, Rebecca McLaughlin said her daughter came up and said, why didn't Jesus have any women disciples? And she opened the Bible and said he had lots of women disciples. And in some places, they're more important. They actually bankrolled Jesus' ministry. If you read the, if you read the whole story, it's the women disciples who were really putting up most of the funds that kept him going. 
which is crazy because you're going to have that kind of ministry. You're going to have to eat and sleep somewhere. They're the first ones to show up at the empty tomb. There's another place where there's 72 people who are following, who are committed. There is a larger crew of people that have said, listen, I'm in. I'm following. Now, they're not Jesus' small group, but they are part of this core of people. They're part of, when we get to the book of Acts, there's 120 in the city of Jerusalem that meet in an upper room before the day of Pentecost who are like part of this core of committed. Like, so how does this show up in Genesis? We're about to do this thing. And if you're new to us or you don't understand how our church works, we believe in this thing called covenant membership. It's a moment where we, like as a church, every person who's a member of the church has said, I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is the place I'm going to live out my mission. And I'm in. This is, this is my people. Are we a perfect church? <laughs> we, I, I planted the church. I was the first, my wife and I were the first two people. The day we joined Genesis, it was no longer perfect. But this is my church. I'm in. Here in a minute, we do this once a year in January where people who are members of Genesis, who are part of this, renew their covenant. It's just a way for us to remind ourselves again that this is where I'm doing this. I love this church I'm in. And so we're gonna have a moment where people get to do that. If you're not a member, that's cool. Just observe. If you are, we want you to participate in this moment of saying, listen, I belong here. I love this people and I'm in. That's the committed. Our membership is bigger than any small group. But there is this level of committed where people go from being part of the crowd to saying, I am a follower, and I'm doing it here with this group of people. And then in discipleship, there is the, the, the close. Jesus gathers 12 dudes, and, and the investment he makes in them is intentional, is over three and a half years. It's, it's this process of doing it for and then with and then sending that, like all this is part of this. And we're going to get into this as we go through the, the series, the close, the, the people that are his community. And Jesus does faith and life and ministry with them. And, and, and their lives are shaped by Jesus, but they become pretty significant shapers of Jesus' ministry. And there's beauty. And when he says go and make disciples, they understand that people are going to need that depth of relationship. And then believe it or not, Jesus had a core. We were pointed out several times that there are three guys. And they're part of the first four. Peter, James, John. That are probably Jesus' best and closest friends in the world. And there are certain things that Jesus does in a story that he, he... He's reduced it from even a small group down to just a really tight, close group of people. And and believe it or not, in our discipleship, we need that too. You need a community group. We do community groups here. This is our, 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 you know, our our close. There's a group of people that I'm super close to. I love them. But in the context, there's also a few people where both inside the church and, and a couple guys outside the church that anytime I'm hurting and I have a trouble, I know who to run to or question. And here's what happens. Jesus has the 12 while he does this. On th- this is how Jesus did it. And this is what we're going for. Now, with that in mind, there are certain ingredients. And I'm going to close my, my sermon very quickly just by listing them. We, we, have, we believe that there's 10 core ingredients that we have to invest 
in these spheres. So we need to be thinking about what each of these ingredients looks like as we look at the cultures, we look at the core, the committed. I mean, each layer of this, we are saying, man, we need to be people who are about and investing in lives, these 10 things. We believe that when we properly invest these 10 things, the outcome will be that people who are following Jesus will have these invested in their life, it'll start getting baked in, and it will help you grow in loving God, loving your neighbor, on mission, obedience to Christ. And here's the 10 core ingredients. We're gonna give them really fast, because what's gonna happen is over the next 12 weeks, we're gonna explain these 10 ingredients to you one week at a time. So I don't need to preach a sermon, I'm just gonna give them to you. Here's the ingredients. Here's the, stu- here, here's the chocolate chip cookies. Here, by the way, that's not a secret ingredient, that is part. Flour, here's the eggs. Here's the, the, the um, uh, sugar and the brown sugar. Here's the water. Here, and maybe a secret ingredient or two, okay? Are you ready? 10 ingredients that we hope we will be intentional about investing in people and that we hope you will grow in. Here they are. Number one, gospel, clarity, and fluency. We have to teach people what the gospel is, what it does, because if we're not clear about the gospel, you will start doing the other nine as a way to get to God, and you will start finding your purpose and your sense of of identity in your, your religious performance. And the first thing we have to do is kick the legs out from underneath of that to say everything else you do is because of the gospel, not because you're trying to get to God. So we have to make sure you are, we are clear about the gospel. Number two, passion. We have to help you, the motivational structure of your heart for everything you do in the gospel and in your Christian life to be loved for God. Like that, that's, if, if, you, if you are great at Bible reading, but it's not motivated from a heart of love, you'll become a Pharisee. Passion. Number three, stewardship. We have to teach you what it means that you are no longer your own. That your life now, following Jesus means my life belongs to somebody else. Number four, uh, disciplines. The, 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 the rhythms and habits that are the means of grace that God has given us and they're disciplines of the word, what it looks like to get my nose in the Bible and to grow in my understanding of what God has said and they're disciplines of the walk, what it looks like to do certain things like my prayer life, meditation, fasting, things like that. So there are disciplines that we need to help you understand. Number five, body life. We need to teach you what it looks like to be part of the committed in a local church. And the biggest metaphor of a local church in the New Testament is that it is a body. It's an organism that has to all work together. And so we're teaching you what it looks like to be part of a body in body life. Number, five, number six, community. Uh, it's, uh, Christianity is not an individual event. It's a team sport. I need a, I need a close group. I need to be part of the committed, part of body life, but I also need a, a people that is in my life where I'm doing faith and life and, and growing as a disciple together and that we together are doing the things that the gospel calls us. Number seven, holiness. We need to invest in you the understanding that there is a call to be more like Jesus and it means that we are gonna look different from the world when that happens. And we need to learn to, to love that, not just be okay with that, we need to learn to love that holiness. Number eight, theological formation. We have to pour in you a way to understand the deep things of God from the scriptures. You need to know what the hypostatic union means. And I'm not gonna explain it to you this morning, but you need to know what it means. And and so my point is saying this, we always need to be working on taking you to to growing in like theology. Who is this God? What does it mean that he has a son? How do we understand 
what Christ did for us, like all these sort of things. We need to do theological formation. Number nine, mission and ministry. We need to teach you how to, like you have spiritual gifts if you're a follower of Jesus, and you need to learn how to, to take the person that God has made you to be and deploy that for his purpose and his kingdom. And number nine, witness. We need to help you know how to share your faith so that we can make more disciples, more disciples, more disciples. This is where we're going. The, the, the rest of the series is one ingredient after another. We're gonna, we're gonna show you what, what it means in greater detail and we wanna make disciples by investing these ingredients so that people become people who are following Jesus, who are growing in their commitment to the great commandment. They are loving God, they're loving neighbor, the great commitment, commission, they're obeying, obeying Jesus and joining the mission. And we see Jesus investing these things as disciples. We see the rest of the New Testament affirming these things. There may be more ingredients that, that we've missed, but, but, but I've worked on this, and I think I've, we've got a pretty decent list here of good ingredients that when, and, when baked rightly with the presence of the Spirit making it work, will transform your life into the image of Christ. That's our goal. And so back to the seashore in the call of Jesus. Follow me. And, and immediately, and immediately, they left their nets and they followed. Follow me. Immediately, immediately, they left their boat and their father and they followed Jesus. Are you a follower? Are you a disciple? If not, we want to invite you to that first call this morning. Come trust in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, we, we go on this journey with us and help understand who we are as a church and join in the, in the journey, okay? Commit to seeing these things invested in your life. And, and one of the things, like I said, we're gonna do this morning is for that committed group, that people who, this is my church home and I'm a part of this church and who are members of this church. John Park's gonna come up here and lead us in a time of, explanation for what we're doing and how we're doing it. This is a beautiful time for our church. If you're not a member here, just sing and participate and see what we're doing. We're not asking you to do anything with this. Um, and, 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 but, but for our church, this is actually a celebration of a church family being reminded that this is our church home. And so I'm gonna pray. We're gonna celebrate Jesus and sing. We're gonna have this time of renewal, which is beautiful. And, and then uh, we're gonna make much of Jesus. And then we're gonna go as disciples. Lord, we, we praise you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this call. And I pray that we will increasingly be a disciple-making church. And Lord, that the people who are here who are following Jesus will see in their lives the growth of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus, and that we will fall more in love with you. We will love our neighbor as a result. You will help us more and more to understand that, that love for you is obedience to you. And you will lift our chin to see this great mission that you've called us to. And we will do this together. For that cause and for your fame and glory, we lift this prayer to you in hope that you will do it. Just keep doing it here at Genesis and around the world. In your name I pray, amen. Good morning. If I haven't met you before, my name's John Park. And uh, walk us through this annual membership covenant renewal day. And why do we do this? Well, if we're a member of a church body, um, it's important that we remind ourselves what, what we are committed to. And we do this formality each year. And it's part of, it's part of discipleship, it's part of shepherding the flock, 
it's helpful to remind ourselves that we are uh, we we have a covenant keeping God. He lives by covenants, and we're part of the new covenant if we're followers of Jesus. So you probably uh, received this renewal letter in the mail, and it it goes through. Uh, our commitment, what we're doing in response to God's love for us. If you didn't get one, as the song starts, you'll be able to go off the back table. You'll have time to still sign your name. What, is this, what, what does this letter contain? Well, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've repented of your sin, and you've placed your trust in his redemptive work, we stay in covenant with him until he returns. And he always keeps his promises. We're reminding ourselves in this list of, of what our promises are to this church and to him. And it's part of how we as believers keep our commitment and keep each other accountable. And you're committing to use your time, your talents, your treasures to build up this body and this mission. If you're not a member of a local church and you have interest in joining this one, we will have a membership class starting in April. It's a five-week session, and it goes through all of our teachings. So look for that in coming weeks. We'll start to advertise it as, as April draws near. So for this procession, as the song starts, you'll come up the center aisle and just drop your note in the basket or the letter in the basket and come as a family. There's no rush. We have the whole time. We'll come up the center aisle and exit out the back, okay?